So I, so I have the itemized list here. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. All right. Front struts and boots. Four hundred and thirty for parts. Boots. I've never heard. I've never heard them called. I know a little bit about cars. I've never heard them called boots before. No, and that's the weird thing. He was also like, "Oh, you can just get the boots without the struts, and that'll only be like fifty dollars." But you really need to get both. Okay. So I don't know what he's trying to convince me of here, but ugh, whatever. Yeah. Labor two seventy. That's going to be seven hundred total. Wait. So literally more than twice as much just for the labor. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then how much does the part no, cost the par- again? The parts are four hundred. Four hundred. Okay, four hundred yeah. for a car they're still making. This isn't. This isn't mm-hmm. like. Oh no, where are we gonna get our Nissan Versa parts that we've been making for the last seven years? Oh no, here's the best part. Yeah. The lower control arms need to be replaced. Okay. That's five hundred seventy-two for parts. Okay. And four hundred and five dollars for this labor. is this is on a car that costs brand new eleven thousand dollars. Like, where is their yes. margin? Do they? Is this a loss leader? <laughs> And then alignment, $130, which is pretty reasonable. Yeah. And then my rear shock is leaking, apparently. Okay. So Le- leaking what? I don't know. Like hydraulic fluid, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. That's going to be 100 for parts and then 100 for labor. Okay. So altogether, it's going to cost $2,000 to get my car back in fighting shape, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, he, he tried to put a good spin on it. He's like, you can get around for like another four months, but then you should really bring it in. Yeah. And he like my car is almost eighty thousand miles, and he's like, it's still a baby. Like what? <laughs> no, your car is as far from a baby as you could possibly get. You drove it around New England in the winter. I know, right? That, that age, I drove it, it across yeah, the that, country. That ages your car like like meth does to an addict. Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I love my car. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm, it is my baby. I treat it like a baby. That, this is not true. This is not true. You feed your car nothing but crap. You you don't use top tier gas. And... <laughs> I've been using Chevron, good sir. I switched over. Okay, good. Okay, good. Mostly because they have better coffee at their uh, little <laughs> Mart station. So, how many times have I tried to get in there and was unable to because of the garbage you have in your back seat and trunk? I have no garbage in my back seat. My back seat is perfectly clean. Thank you very much. Okay. And also, I make you do all the things. <laughs> <so it doesn't laughs> That's true. I'm beginning to question the necessity of the car because I got to get a, re- a tire replaced too. Yeah. And got the and got the same like oh the, you know they fix the tire by taking out a huge chunk of it and then replacing it with glue and weird brown stuff. <laughs> and they said oh it'll be good for miles. Yeah, and I was see, like okay, this, fifty miles, hundred miles, a thousand miles. Like how it is like it's yeah, all that's good for now. It's all bullshit. Yeah, thanks. It's all we're we're all gonna die. Yeah. Like what's the point? Oh, definitely. Just definitely today we're gonna die. My my organs are boiling in this heat. I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a, make a great meal for somebody. In a few hours. <laughs> For some wolves. Yeah. We're going to have a delicious ki- warm meal. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's the coyotes. The, the coyotes. coyotes. That's true. We're in Southern California, so mm-hmm. we're all dying. Yep. Welcome to the Aspiring Snobs <laughs> podcast. Another distraction on the way to the grave. Yeah. Guys, this week we watched the 1957 classic, The Seventh Seal. Slutar du aldrig att fråga? Nej. Jag slutar aldrig. Uh, quick upfront. Mm-hmm. This movie is very existential. Let's just call it what it is. Oh, that's <laughs> the same with every Igmar Bergman film. 
Well, this is my first Igmog Bergman. This is only my second. Yeah, I I like to consider myself a film snob already, whereas you are the aspiring one. Um, Oh, 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 excuse me, good sir, excuse me. You hadn't seen Priscilla, Queen of the Desert before we started doing this (laughs) podcast, so how dare you? Absolutely. Academy Award winner, (laughs) Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. In any event, uh, this this is a huge blind spot for me. I've only seen uh, one Igmar Bergman film before this, uh, The Virgin Spring. And so I kind of, and that also, which also starred um, his frequent collaborator, Max von Sydow. Or, See, I did not recognize him as Max von Sydow in this movie. Because <laughs> not... it wasn't until I, it wasn't until I looked it up on IMDb, I was like, holy shit, that's Max von Sydow. Are you serious? Is it because he didn't look over 80 years of age? Well, it's just because it's an old Italian film. So I'm like, oh, look at all these poor Italian actors. Italian? You know? Yeah. Or is it Swedish? It's Swedish. Shit. You thought they were, you thought they were speaking Italian? I thought they were speaking Italian. You thought Ignor Bergman was Italian? I don't know. <laughs> it's all gibberish to me. This is not coming up, by the way. That's a, that's a huge... Thing. No, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. I'm willing to take that. I okay. did take it hard. That's unbelievable, John. It does, uh, Look, I was reading the subtitles. So what difference does it make? <laughs> <laughs> One is Swedish, the other is Italian. They sound nothing alike. Whatever. I could go through the... I, I won't bore everybody with the details of their languages, but... <laughs> and it takes place during the Crusades. This is true. There's a huge, uh, obviously, Catholic slash Christian undercurrent. Oh yeah. Well, like, when you say existential, or as I like to call yeah. them, the Buzzkill Brigade. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's got a huge spiritual component and a, and a, a longing for a connection to the divine and what, what comes mm-hmm. next in our, in our next life. Yes. So I was kind of, I was kind of taken aback by this movie because. The mm-hmm. only thing I knew about this movie is, by reputation, this is the movie where the guy plays chess with death. Oh, yeah. That is pretty much the plot of this movie. But, oh, there is so much more going on. Oh, there is. Yeah. Uh, we should probably explain. Um, I say this having only seen one other Bergman film. Mm-hmm. But he's a he's a dramatist. Oh, absolutely. He, he will not... His stories won't bore you, in spite of us calling this uh, existential. Like, he knows how to create complicated storylines and threads. Mm -hmm. Uh, The movie I saw before this was The Virgin Spring, which has been remade countless times. And it's about a a rebellious teenager rebelling against her father, played by Max von Sydow. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she goes off on her own. She she, uh, runs into a band of of roustabouts, of ruffians. (laughs) Of 'er Um, ne'er-do-wells. Yes. Uh, They get raped and killed, and then... The ruffians actually take, uh, actually lodge at her father's place, and like that—that's the main conflict, is that um, he's basically being hospitable to a group of a trio of uh, ruffians that have li- literally raped and killed his daughter. So when you said it's been remade countless times, you mean it's been remade as Last House on the Left? Exactly. That's okay. What I mean. <laughs> okay. Good to know, because I was yeah. like, hmm, I don't recall any remakes of it specifically. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> Well, who would go to see a movie called The Virgin Spring? I know, right? Boring. Yeah. Yes. Where's the last house on the left? You see that on the queue. <laughs> yeah. We're stopping whatever we're doing. <laughs> Next show time, please. <laughs> Two tickets, For the please. L double... Yes. <laughs> For the L double O T L. So, yes. John, you were taken aback. Yeah, because... I mean, the movie gets started immediately. We see uh-huh. Max von Sydow on the beach... He arrives mm-hmm. on, you know, to a new land, basically. He's returning home. Yeah, so it's not a new land for him, but yeah, yeah he's home. Mm-hmm. He's playing Adonis Black, a uh, block. Uh, yeah, Ad- Adrianus Block or something like that. Yeah, yeah, not that his name is important. 
No. It's mentioned maybe three times in the mm-hmm. movie. But it, it looks as though he's washed along the shore. He's washed up on the shore. Like, maybe his ship wrecked or something like that. Or I don't know if it's, like, implied that they were sleeping on the beach or they washed ashore or something. But they're returning from the Crusades. They're trying okay. to get home. I interpreted it as them taking respite on the beach. but Okay. Yeah. I guess that's a good thing of another fine quality of this movie is how open to interpretation it is. And I'll get to some scenes later where... Kind of, it kind of plays with your expectations a little bit, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I mean, literally within like the first two minutes, he gets up and hey, death is there. Yeah, <laughs> how's it going? Mm-hmm. And of course, the, he asks the first question we all ask when we're confronted with death: "Have you come for me?" And yep. death's like, mm, "Yeah, it's kind of my job." <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, why don't we play a game of chess to pass the time?" And if I well, win- no, not pass the time. Yeah. I mean, at first, it's kind of implied that, you know, it's just like, oh, we're doing a fun little game. He's but trying to, I know, he's trying to wile his way out of death. Mm-hmm. This taking place in Europe and not Georgia, there's no fiddles around, so they have to play nice. chess. <laughs> That's what I was curious about, is um, if this is just a, a strictly Western interpretation of death, like would an audience of Sweden versus an audience in Spain versus an audience in Brazil versus an audience in the United States, would they interpret this this cloaked black figure immediately with a pale white face, like immediately as death? Um, I think they would. I mean, that's kind of the interesting about this thing about this movie. There's a lot, there's that Christian undercurrent. There's a lot of talk of God and the devil. But the only supernatural figure we see is death. Because that's the only supernatural figure that the characters actually have any relation to. And that's the only supernatural character that they know for sure is coming for them. Because Mm -hmm. throughout the movie, Max von Sydow, uh, Adonis Block, or however you pronounce it, yeah, Mr. Block. <laughs> Mr. Block. <laughs> yeah. Sir Block. Yeah. He's always quest- he the reason why he's confronted death and wants to play this chess game is because he has questions. And he really does doubt the existence of God and the devil. And throughout the movie, there's these little vignettes as he's going across his journey where he's confronted with these kind of uh, fundamentalists who are whipping themselves and doing penance and then burning yeah. witches, people they believe that the devil has entered. And he, well, yeah, the other context, it, they're in the midst of the Black Death right now. The bubonic plague is spread across Europe. And mm-hmm. so that's another, that's another thing where people are confronting this issue. They could die at any moment. Exactly. So I think the movie doesn't really come down. I, it's kind of an agnostic film because it doesn't really imply that God or the devil exists. But it knows for sure that death exists. And death is coming for you. And death always wins. Yeah, it's, it's, I think... I think Bergman has said this himself in an interview. It's him trying to confront the the anxiety about death and what comes next. Mm-hmm. And I think um, he comes down where the movie ultimately um, concludes is a, a kind of contentment with that, mm-hmm. um, knowing that it'll come. And um, no matter our, our strictly our journeys here, I think that's part of what the what the story does is it brings people from all different sorts of walks of life. Mm-hmm. And uh, what their their journeys imply, like a different a different kind of approach towards um, the the conclusion that we all share, which mm-hmm. is that yes, <laughs> we are going to pass on, um, and what, no matter what comes next, um, we kind of have to we have to confront it and have to be at peace with that. Yeah, and what I also kind of like about this movie is you're right, it's taking place during the Black Plague, during the medieval mm-hmm. era, and what I like about it is it has a kind of apocalyptic mm-hmm. tone to it. Um, oh yeah. And what's interesting is apocalypse stories like doomsday scenarios are always, you know, in the media these days, but it's always in the future tense. What I liked about this movie and what I appreciated about it is like, this is past tense. Like we are going through an apocalyptic scenario 
that has already kind of happened, and we've already kind of like gone through it. But for the characters, it's all new for them, and they're really yeah, unsure of their future. Yeah, I think that's where the comfort factor or the contentment comes in because we know that mm-hmm. yes, Europe has bounced back from this horrible plague. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie being released um, hundreds of years later, and yeah, it's, we're doing. <laughs> I fine. mean, has it bounced back? We still have the <laughs> European Union. Oh, uh, political slam! Ouch! <laughs> oh snap! <laughs> In any event, um, I I feel like uh, it gives it gives some distance to it. Whereas, yeah, the the apocalyptic films you're talking about taking place far in the future, where there there's still that anxiety of the unexpected of what's going to happen next. Whereas here, mm-hmm. um, they give a more. It, I think the the purpose is more of a more of a hopeful message in that you know they'll we will we will endure or yeah, <laughs> and society or the world will endure in spite of our in spite of our passing on. Yeah. And despite all this anarchy that surrounds them. We must yours it be late of red slum. And they be late it's gonna be color for good. Do you over over it? Do it in besuk to my mosha. We spill her shack till summons. Then fristen yer my tilfella to treat at Angelic Terrand. Roughly Terrand? Mit liver worried it. Jagande, farande. Talande utan mening eller sammanhang. Det har varit en intikhet. Ja, jag säger det utan bitterhet eller självförbrådelse. Eftersom jag vet att nästan alla människors liv är beskaffade på just det sättet. Men mitt uppskov vill jag använda till en enda meningsfull handling. Mm-hmm. Should we get to that famous chess match though? I guess so. I, I want to get into specifics, yeah. Well, I mean... There's really not a lot of chess in the movie, quite frankly. No, no the chess, even though that's the trademark for the story, it's really more of the framework. Mm-hmm. It, and what really, what really is, it's a, it's really a, a journey home, sort of that. Uh, this knight and his squire kind of pick up stragglers all along the way. Like there's a, mm-hmm. there's a couple of vagabond actors, mm-hmm. a little acting there's troupe a, that they pick up along the way. Um, the their juggler's name is Joff, and he has his yeah. wife and child, and mm-hmm. then. Um, their director, I guess he's like a director or something, but he also performs. I don't know. I don't, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. he has a squire. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a blacksmith chasing after his wife, <laughs> who has an affair with the uh, director of the little acting troupe. Yeah, I think his name is like so, yeah. Shrafe or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, they have a lot of weird names. <laughs> yeah. All I remember is Sir Block. Uh, his squire. Shoot, I can't remember his squire's name. His squire's name is uh, Jean's. Jean's. It's, it's, oh, you're right. It's yeah. John with a little umlaut. Yeah. <laughs> or the Any event, well, it's yeah. It, it, that points to the kind of or uh, allegorical nature of the story. Mm-hmm. All you have to kind of know is their roles. Like, uh, you have a subservient squire, a noble knight, um, death. You know, who's just there? <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things that was kind of unexpected about this movie was the kind of character interplay. Oh yeah, because again, you think you think it's that opening scene. You think it's just going to be this knight and death mm-hmm. um, locked in this locked in this literal game mm-hmm. of chess, and then just having this kind of existential conversation about the meaning of it all, which it yeah. does kind of have that. But in between, we do get plot elements. Mm-hmm. And what I like about Jean's is the fact that he there's a there's kind of a nice balancing act between him and his uh, knight. Uh, Max von Sydow, because they're both kind of cynical, they're both kind of jaded, they both are coming back from the Crusades wondering, like, what was the point of it all? But yep. whereas uh, Sir Bloch is very kind of existential and wondering, like, the big questions, Jean's is more of a kind of, like, scoundrel. 
he's just kind of yeah, he's more, more of a, a nihilist. More cynical, yeah, cynical and nihilistic is mm-hmm. what I was I was going to describe him yeah. as. I mean, he still kind of acts nobly when he needs to when push comes to shove, but he's much more resigned to the fact that it, nothing means anything anymore. Like yeah, he's kind based of on his ex- yeah. yeah. I think the biggest based on his experience in the crusade, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest instance of that is when he comes across a I guess a, not a fellow knight, but somebody who's uh, robbing a house and threatening to hurt a young lady. Yeah. Um, the squire comes to his, uh, her defense, chases the guy off, and says, like, next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. You know, shows him a little bit of mercy. And then, also being merciful, he goes to the lady and says, like, hey, I'm not going to rape you, but you're going to be my wife. I mean, my, my, my wife might still be alive, but she might be dead, so you're going to be my wife. Let's go. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I think I forgot, maybe this on your first viewing, they do have some personal history, that potential robber and the guy on the crusade, and the squire. Oh, they do? Okay. Yeah. I didn't catch that. Yeah, it was just a few lines. I wish I, I, wish I could bring them up right here, but mm-hmm. he remembers him from 10 years ago. I think he either deserted the crusade or something, or they scammed, scammed him somehow. Oh, okay. But yeah, there's some, there's some personal history here. Again, like Bergman being, being a dramatist, he knows how to <laughs> introduce kind of backstory and... Uh, you know, conflict where it rises up. It, that's that's what surprised me most. You, you're right about the the character's perspective. I was I was most shocked by the introduction of this comedy troupe. <laughs> this yes, tr- this uh, <laughs> troupe of clowns. <laughs> Just because not only um, not only does it introduce the the idea of confronting the divine through art. Because mm-hmm. there's another. My favorite scene is um, the squire goes into a church and uh, the guy's painting this fresco or like uh, painting the chapel and and basically depicting these biblical stories through through drawing and um you know he's just wondering like what's the point of that you know mm-hmm. seems fri- frivolous um and the same it's the same here i mean um they do this uh troop of jugglers they do little like morality plays or little passion plays mm-hmm. and so um yeah i i, I like the idea of them like kind of or at least in- introducing the story like how to confront the idea of death through art or some way indirectly yeah um and it also brings some much-needed levity, too, because these characters are goofballs. <laughs> they're absolute goofballs. And again, yeah. like, they're also resigned to their fate. They know that they're eventually going to die. They know that the Black Plague is basically spreading all over Europe. And But mm-hmm. they're kind of, like, a little well, light not, of hope. Well, not that. Yeah, I, I don't think it's... It's not just that the Black Plague, but also just how they're going to live. Because yeah. they can't... They can't sustain themselves on, a, you know, traveling the road on a little... On a meager actor's salary, especially exactly. raising a child. Yeah, they have a little baby. But again, it's kind of like a glimmer of hope. Like, they still kind of maintain this smiling, you know, like, let's just keep people entertained. Let's just keep people distracted for a little mm-hmm. while. So I really appreciated those characters. And again, going back to that kind of character interplay, you get a little bit of a conflict between Joff and his wife, Mia. Not really a conflict, but it's just kind of like a difference of perspectives. Because yeah. Joff is prone to these flights of fancy. He claims to have seen angels, and he claims to see these kind of divine figures. And at one point, he actually does see Death playing chess with Sir Blanc. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Mia just shakes it off. She's like, oh, you, you and your head always in the clouds. She doesn't believe him yeah. whatsoever. She's much more kind of grounded. Well, yeah, that, that's, that happens in his, very, in his very introduction, his very, his very first scene. You see mm-hmm. him kind of goofing around, but then he settles down and sees a vision of the Virgin Mary. <laughs> Helping, presumably, presumably Christ. Or, yeah, you know, it could be it could be his brother. Who knows? But um, <laughs> she had lots uh, of kids. Learning how to walk. Yeah, <laughs> learning how to walk. And so, yeah, you got a you got a hopeful vision there. He's got another kind of more uh, deathly vision later. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, I, I like I like that how much levity it added, but also how much you know kind of thematically it added too. Mm-hmm. So that that was a huge surprise when you think of, when you think of Bergman films again, you think of people silhouetted <laughs> against the beach or something like that, you know, pontificating on the nature of death and destruction and things like that. So. There's like there's a story going on. We're following them along this journey, and you mm-hmm. know there's certain events that happen. Like they get kind of get caught up in this tavern, and Joff's life is threatened by again that knight we saw earlier who abandoned the Crusades. You know he's forcing him to dance, and you know he's he wants it like act like a bear, act like a bear, and like threatening <laughs> to light him on fire. And again, yeah. uh, Jean's comes to his defense. Not that Jean's really cares, you know. Joff is like, "Thank you, I, you you saved my life." And Jean's well, he's like, still a noble, yeah. He's still a noble character in spite of how mm-hmm. cynical and nihilistic he is about the the journey they just partook in. Mm-hmm. But I think it's kind of interesting the fact that you know it's such an existential film, and it finds mm-hmm. these times to kind of stop and have these conversations, musings on you know life and death and God and the devil, but also it still has this kind of forward momentum. They're trying to achieve something. They're all just yeah. trying to get home. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, John, mm-hmm. if I have one criticism against the movie, <gasps> how dare you? Because we're going to get—I know—we're going to get into that now. Everything wrong with the seventh seal in twenty minutes or less. <laughs> and it better be twenty minutes less, or this YouTube video is free. I know. <laughs> and there are going to be fourteen ad breaks in it otherwise. <laughs> what I what I wish happened in the story was that. Uh, or kind of the events of the film more directly related to, because a lot of the elucidation on the, on the ideas of death and what comes next and, or what comes in our following life and, you know, not getting, not getting signs from God of what comes next is that's all handled kind of in dialogue and in text. And I'd rather it like kind of play itself out in the story a little bit more. No, you're right. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking particularly of a, of a very long scene where the knight goes into confession. Mm Mm-hmm. And he doesn't actually know that he's confessing to death. Yeah. Or that he's <laughs> and he gives away a huge strategy in his chess game, basically implying that, yeah, he's gonna lose and Well it would have been uh meet his demise sooner than he'd like, yeah. It would have been better if the audience wasn't privy to the fact that he was confessing to death. Because it's like the audience knows it's death before he does. And it would have been That's a better true. reveal if, you know, you turned and saw it was death he confessed to. Now the now he knows his strategy in the game. Like yeah. it would have been better that way, but uh, I liked it better well. That that gives you a clue into how um, how clueless <laughs> this night is because there's an earlier scene. Um, I guess one positive where I wish the story would have gone. Um, this is after they uh, they take a rest on the beach. They're they're wa- walking along the water mm-hmm. and um, they run into somebody who's just sitting there. The squire gets off his horse and like, hey, how's it going, fellow traveler? And it turns out it's a corpse. Yeah. And um, the knights the knights kind of off and the and uh, the the uh, squire the kind of off to the side and the squire returns to his horse and the knight asks him like uh what'd you guys talk about and it's like oh and he's like nothing good you know and it's <laughs> again it's kind of it's kind of subtextual in that way and i wish the movie had, had done that just a little bit more 
Yeah. Like that that is a great scene of like little subtext of, you know. <laughs> They, uh, it's it's a little confrontation of death, but it's also done in a very naturalistic way. Yeah, yeah. The only other scene I can think of that's like that is when they're in the woods and they get confronted by a man who has the plague, and he's yes. basically begging for help. He's begging for his life, and they're like, "Uh, no, don't get close to us, please." Yeah, so, yeah I know you're contagious. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the uh, quote unquote wife, she never gets a name, but the uh, woman that uh, Jean's saved earlier. She wants to give him water. You know, the squire's like, no. Like, <laughs> again, in his most sensitive fashion, he's like, can't you see? I'm trying to I'm trying to console you right now. <laughs> he's, like, holding mm-hmm. her back and telling her, like, don't bother. And we kind of see him, you know, kind of, like, wander off. And it's implied that he's going to die. So, Yeah. Well, I think he does croak at that moment. Yeah, probably. Croak. <laughs> <laughs> We're so because sensitive. That's why does, we can. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we could talk about this movie. Yeah, we have a pretty high EQ, you and I. <laughs> well, there, yeah, there. You, that's a good scene. There's another good scene where, um, again, the blacksmith is chasing uh, the woman that the, chasing his wife who has run off with one of the theater troupe, mm-hmm. one of the traveling, which one of the traveling actors. Mm-hmm. And there's another good scene where he's like, okay, have your wife back. I will, I've, I've obviously dishonored you, so I will commit suicide. And instead he fakes it. Yeah. And again, it kind and of that's... goes along with this whole theme of like trying to outwit death. You've got, yeah. you know, the knight clearly trying to outwit death in a chess game, and you have this actor who's trying to outwit death, you know, with this little like, or outwit fake the knife. blacksmith. Yeah, yeah, outwit the blacksmith pretending to die. But of yeah. course, and again, <laughs> this is the only person we see death actually take, except for the ending. Mm-hmm. Death shows up. Uh, he hides in a tree. The actor hides in yeah. a tree, and then we have Death come by with a saw. <laughs> and it's a little goofy, like let's be yeah. honest. But I guess it kind of befits the tone that these actor characters kind of have for their portions of the movie. Like obviously, if this happened to Max von Sydow's character, it wouldn't fit. But because it's like these actor characters who are meant to add a little bit of levity, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This brings up uh, something that's been gnawing at me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not sure if it's fair. Um, I I really enjoyed this movie. I loved I loved all the big ideas that it's playing with. Mm-hmm. But there's something you said that scene is very goofy, and there's a lot of very <laughs> silly little production choices here. Yeah, that might have like taken me out of the movie. And I was wondering if it was the same for you. I was just gonna list a few if you don't mind. <laughs> go go right down. ahead. <laughs> go right ahead. I think the very second shot of the film is a seagull uh, kind of wafting in the breeze, kind of just hovering there. Uh, but it's very clearly a... Yeah, that's not a good uh, way to stuffed, open the movie. <laughs> yeah, a stuffed seagull dangling by a string. I think it's supposed to be a raven. <laughs> but, oh, really? Okay. But either way, it's not very convincing. No. Um, same, there's another scene. Um, we mentioned uh, Jans, the actor. Uh, he, uh, or Joe, uh, Joseph, yeah, uh, I think is his name. Joseph, or something like that. Uh, he comes back. He comes uh, scurrying back to his wife. Like I just, I just went through this traumatic experience in this bar, mm-hmm. and they're just sitting there in a two shot, uh, and behind them is their horse. And in some shots, it's alive and grazing and moving, but in this very long shot of just the two of them, it's clearly just a statue. <laughs> it's clearly just a a fake horse just standing stock still behind them. I didn't notice that actually. It's funny that oh, you really? mentioned okay. that. Yeah, I did always notice the horses when they were moving, but for that scene, I was focused exclusively on the characters. Okay. Obviously, uh, yeah. Obviously, you're, you're more invested in the movie than I am. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. This is a movie from the 1950s, so it has some of those hallmarks. Like yeah, the it's opening, one of Bergman's 
the opening yeah. talking about that you know fake ass bird you know it also <laughs> opens with like this big choral piece but it's like dun, dun, dun. you know it opens just like you know a 1950s b movie would like you know uh the day the earth stood still or like this island earth you know it still has yeah. that kind of like tone so mm. i mean i don't fault the movie for that this is just the way movies were made back then you know they didn't yeah they I, didn't, I guess yeah they're not as subtle as they are today or you know nowadays mm, you know yeah. it open with a bomb instead of like a bum, 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 as they did back then <laughs> yeah um maybe maybe i'm just being a little too hard or it, it's something that just kind of takes me out of the movie and mm-hmm. gets me less emotionally invested mm-hmm. and i will say um apparently a big influence on mr bergman was my favorite director akira kurosawa oh yeah let's talk about this and, exactly and he is not a man who would allow those little kind of production design <laughs> issues to come up because he was a strict perfectionist and he will yell and berate and maybe physically assault you <laughs> so if the rain looks a little fake he will drain your town's water supply now and ink hold on hold on i take umbrage with that sir Okay. This is the man who famously came up with the shot that we see in basically every single Japanese story ever since. But I forget which movie it is, but there was an instance where two samurai are fighting, and they uh-huh. run past each other. And we don't know which one was cut. And then one of them, it just explodes in blood, <laughs> just like a gusher out of their chest. <laughs> I believe uh, th- that does happen in The same Samurai. I'm not sure if there's a, is it, there's a geyser of, of, of blood, though. <laughs> Well, so the movie isn't black and white. I'm not sure if that would translate. But. Yeah, but uh, from the story I've heard, uh-huh. initially, you know, it was going to be just like a subtle little drip, but yeah. the you know mal- there was a malfunction with the system, and it just it resulted in this geyser of blood. Okay, and that it was either yeah, that was either the Seven Samurai or Yojimbo. I can't remember which. Yeah, but. and again, it was such a striking visual. He was like, "All right, let's keep that take." <laughs> <laughs> And again, okay. you look at like modern day anime or modern day Japanese films, they love fountains of blood. <laughs> so yeah. it's a very kind of influential shot. Yeah. Which didn't, which kind of strained realism, I understand. <laughs> so, yes, running counter to my argument, I'm just saying production wise, you know, uh, you know, could have had some slight improvements that would have, you know, drawn me in even more. Well, you know what my biggest criticism is? Yes. It's the treatment of females in this movie. <laughs> Well, this, again, this is a 1950s movie. <laughs> yeah, and again, like, you know, I can't harp on it too much. But uh-huh. obviously, the there there's not a lot of development with the female characters in this movie. Like, one of them doesn't even speak until the very end. No, yeah. But I don't. So one of the things that took me out of the movie was the casting. All the, okay. all the women in the movie are a little too pretty. Um, well... <laughs> I mean, if you if you travel around Sweden, I'm sure you're going to find some beautiful ladies. <laughs> I don't know. I just I it 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 struck me as like, oh, we can cast very distinctive men, but for women, they got to be like an eight out of ten, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I I guess yeah, that's something I didn't I didn't necessarily see. I guess there was some hard there was just some distinguishing I had to do between that that wife character that the squire takes and the other wife, the wife of the blacksmith. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like that. Yeah, they're you're right. There's no way to immediately differentiate them on screen well i mean besides the fact besides the attitude because one is completely silent kind of like yeah uh, completely scared of the situation she's in and the other one's just like a mm-hmm. slut <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's true a little promiscuous yeah just a little strumpet not a great movie for gender politics that's for sure <laughs> no okay well again yeah we have to look at the limitations of the time both production wise and uh potentially uh uh, societal-wise, <laughs> looking at certain attitudes, let's say. Yeah. 
but no, you're right. It, 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 I guess this was filmed in Sweden. Oh, the Swedish ladies. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Be still my heart. I really enjoyed this movie. I think it. I think it does uh, deserve the status as a classic. Um, no, this is this is fantastic. This is a great movie. Yeah. Yeah, and now I'm 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 looking forward to seeing more Bergman films in the future, <laughs> and that's what you have to look forward to too. I know, aspiring snobs listeners. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny. I I'm kind of proud of the fact that we've never repeated a director so far. This is true. Yeah, I mean we still uh, haven't seen a Kira Kurosawa movie because yeah, you've seen all of them. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and I forced you to watch a ton. So <laughs> there you go. Maybe one day, but yeah, I mean I'm looking forward to watching more Bergman films, and yeah, this is a great. This is a great thematically rich uh portrait of uh you know a nihilistic attitudes towards uh, our next life and you know knowing what knowing just not knowing what it all means and you know just gracefully accepting our, our demise yep just put on this movie pour a nice glass of chardonnay get out your aspirin run a hot bath and you know get those razors ready <laughs> whoa <laughs> i thought I, I thought i took a dark turn <laughs> And why Chardonnay? <laughs> Chardonnay is the best wine for killing yourself. I don't know. <laughs> okay. No, you go for something red, something strong and red, like uh, I don't know. I guess. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I don't. I haven't been on too many wine tastings. I don't know what a good pairing with killing yourself is goes with. You're right. <laughs> let's get off this topic. Yes, let's. <laughs> how about something? How about something a little more cheerful? Yes, let's go in a lighter direction. Let's yes. turn on a big, bright spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. That that cooling, fanning, just you know, air conditioned, smooth spotlight. Don't don't no. You're just you're making me feel worse. All right, you're reminding me I don't have <laughs> air conditioning. I'm sorry, you bastard. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> so hot. Yeah. Dying. John, I have a very important spotlight for you. Oh boy. And I hope it. I hope it's the same one you have, because you and I don't don't talk before the episode before we record at all. <laughs> no, we do we not. We do very little preparation. I have a sneaking suspicion we don't have the same spotlight. But go ahead. Okay. Well, uh, as we explained uh, last week, we were off one week in uh, at a family reunion in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and we went to some place that is very near and dear to our hearts. Yes, the New London Barn Playhouse. Yes, uh, stones throw away from the Colby Sawyer College campus. Mm-hmm. And there's a great there, restaurant there, down there called The Flying Goose. Highly recommended. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, we're not getting paid by the New London Tourist Board. We're very satisfied <laughs> residents, <laughs> vacationers and residents. But I'm sure there, there are just hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, dinner and repertory theaters all around this great nation. Mm-hmm. However, I doubt many of them do as good a job as the New London Barn Playhouse. Yes. How many how many productions have we seen there now? Four, five. I've seen Chicago, The Music Man, uh, Damn Yankees, mm-hmm. and then also this past time we went there, we saw a jukebox musical by the name of All Shook Up. Yes, a jukebox a jukebox musical with Elvis Presley, and even though I I abhor <laughs> jukebox musicals, <laughs> no, they did an absolutely fantastic job. 
yeah, they did they did a tremendous job, just as they did in Chicago, and, ju- and just as I'm sure they did on Damn Yankees. And mm-hmm. um, now they don't do musical reviews all the time. They actually uh, just did a uh, straightforward play, or straightforward, <laughs> a non-musical play. <laughs> I like that term. Let's call it a straightforward play. <laughs> yeah, straightforward. That's that's what I like. <laughs> um, called On Go- Golden Pond, which also got rave reviews. Yes. So, again, they, they just do an exceptional job. Tiny little town, this tiny little hamlet in the middle of New Hampshire. That <laughs> was one of the most, you know, bright bright lights, energetic, wonderful, you know, musical musical venues in the world, I think. Mm-hmm. They get uh, the world, young, yeah. hungry <laughs> interns from around the country to intern oh, yeah. there for the summer, and they all do a fantastic job. Oh, yeah. Well, th- now they're turn- starting to attract some big talent. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, the guy who played... Uh, the, the Elvis stand-in. Not exactly Elvis Presley. I can't remember his character's name now. <laughs> Chad, that's it. Yeah, Chad. And he did he did stuff on Broadway. Uh, there was another character who uh, was on the original production of Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, not only not only do the interns do just a heck of a job, but also they attract some incredible talent. So, if, if you're ever in the area. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever find yourself in New London, New Hampshire, which I hope you do. Yes. I sincerely hope you do, and I sincerely hope you check out the new London Barn Playhouse. Yes. We are very satisfied company, customers from years and years have gone by. Mm-hmm. And it's only 25 cents to rent a pillow, so <laughs> get your money's worth. I thought it was $2. No. I mean, okay. I donated $2, because, again, okay. it's a nonprofit, so. <laughs> this is true. Come on, they're well, selling they it for a quarter. Come on. <laughs> yes. They do also print your name if you do make a donation, so. Yes. You can you can find yourself in the program if you so choose. Uh-huh. Yes. Or you can give anonymously. Somebody gave a huge anonymous <laughs> donation. <laughs> that's not to say that's not to say that you should that they would not enjoy your custom. Yes. Because you will you will enjoy a heck of a show, I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you recommended that, Greg, because I have mm-hmm. a recommendation that I don't think you're going to enjoy very much. <laughs> so, okay. I I did see Oakja, and I'll. I'll... <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, you, you were right there. You were right. You were right. You were right to assume I would not enjoy it. But go ahead. Um, traveling, I get a chance to finally catch up on some books that I don't get a chance to read in my normal life. So I finally mm-hmm. got around to reading the newest book from one of my favorite authors, Chuck Klosterman. Oh, that reserved sigh just means I should keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should have done a video component because I've got. Two hands in the air, and they are jerking something, let me tell you. <laughs> so Chuck Klosterman, for people who don't know, is a writer, essayist, cultural critic, and philosopher. Uh, philosopher. He writes for oh, yeah. GQ and Esquire and Grantland and... Um, Companies that should know better. <sighs> okay. I love his work. Greg, however, as you can tell, is not a fan. Listen, if you've ever been to a bar around 1.30 a.m., <laughs> People are about, I don't know, seven to eight drinks in, but they still have all this pent-up energy. <laughs> and are elucidating on the nature of, uh, I don't know, what was on HBO this past Sunday. <laughs> you pretty much you pretty much get the Chuck Klosterman experience. Okay, that is very fair. Uh, <laughs> Damn right it is. <laughs> his thought process is very much like, got high at 3 a.m., and it's like, what does it all mean, man? Exactly, yes. <laughs> and just furiously typing away. <laughs> there's no there's no uh, denying his output. Yes. Uh, but his newest book is called, But What If We're Wrong? Thinking mm-hmm. About the Present as If It Were the Past. And it is fascinating. Sure it is. <laughs> I, I just say I'm mad at this book because they had, they had one idea that they cribbed. I thought of this 
at least 10 years ago. Oh, excuse me. Oh, wow. And that is, yes, and that is um, to have the cover on upside down. So so when it looks like some, when it's reading it, it looks like somebody's reading it upside down. I'm sure nobody's ever thought of that ever before. I thought it was hysterical back in high school. Graphic design genius, Greg Mantell. Indeed. <laughs> Not recognized within his time. Nope. <laughs> but yes, um... I love his writing style. I love his thought process. Uh, I can understand mm-hmm. why people get frustrated because yeah. it's very much this kind of rhythm where it's like, this could be true. Rhythm? But also not. <laughs> so rhythm, it's like the worst jazz you've ever read. <laughs> I mean, it's very dry. It's very philosophical. So he's he puts forward these uh, propositions. It's in dire need of an editor or structure or anything. It's a very, it's very loose. Look, and let me explain why why I enjoy it at least, all right, before you interrupt me. (laughs) Go ahead. It's his thought process very much like, here, let me put it forward, the supposition, and then let me argue Uh against it for a second. So you never really kind of get definitive answers, and this is probably his most polarizing book. Even though he does kind of talk about pop culture and stuff like that, he talks about kind of the nature of art. Because he, the thesis of the book is how do we think about the future? And would it behoove us to kind of think about the present the same way we think about the past in terms of like thinking like, well, that's what we think now. Knowing that in the future, you can't really... Let's say think one more time. What are you talking about? <laughs> All right. So you know Occam's Razor, right? Yes. The... A uh, solution with the least amount of presumptions is usually mm. the correct one. The simplest one. answer is usually the, the best. Mm-hmm. And w- the reason why he thinks about the future is because the future is nothing but presumptions. And so that's why he thinks, this is why in this book the supposition is, let's think about the present as if it were the past, because again, we can't think about the future because it's nothing but presumptions. And uh, he, he, the book starts off, he kind of keeps it very ground level. He talks about kind of the nature of art and the way, you know, something becomes like a classic or how it kind of becomes revered. It's like, why do we love Beethoven? Why do we love Franz Liszt? Like, what gets considered rock and roll? Uh, he eventually kind of brings it into like, well, how come we, how come we can't question the nature of reality? <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> what started as an examination of Franz Liszt becomes like, oh, why... <laughs> Why, uh, you know, oh, this nature of reality, simulacrons. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like, that's what makes it kind of a challenging book, because normally he writes essays. And even though this is very strictly... No, it, they're just as... They sound just as unfocused as this does. It's not unfocused if you follow the through line. You get mad there because... There is no through line. It's a guy bouncing... Like, a, a the guy's brain is a fly bouncing off whatever little ideas are rolling around in his cranium. It's frustrating. <laughs> That's what makes it's, it fascinating. It was, no, it was frustrating in the... Uh, not the, not the Black Hat book, the one before that that you made me read. Oh, <laughs> Eating the Dinosaur. Yes, eating the dinosaur. It was frustrating then. It sounds frustrating in this book too. I I, I love his books, and I thought okay. I think you should really read uh, "I Wear the Black Hat," which is probably his okay. most focused book. <laughs> uh, yeah, it sounds like it actually yeah. centered himself on a on a you know central idea. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this which has is, a central idea as well. I think right? it's yeah. It's... I think it's very disciplined. This book. I mean, granted, you have to follow the through line, and this, even though it is in his voice, it's not a collection of essays. You can't read this book in any order. And he warns you at the beginning, this is not a collection of essays. This is not a collection of essays. Okay. He does it like three times. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think it's extremely fascinating, and I just love his thought process. Okay. Highly recommended. Chuck Klosterman, check him out. Expand yes. your mind. Think about the world differently. And you'll mm-hmm. walk away a more enriched human being. Yep. And that's well, our goal here at Aspiring time. Snobs, isn't it? We're trying to be more <laughs> enriched human beings. 
Instead of every American is entitled to be wrong occasionally. <laughs> Mr. Oh, I read the Atlantic article this month. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Indeed, I did. You're you're just a you're just a sullen pig. That's what you are. Mm. Nope, that's fake news. <laughs> fake news. <laughs> you know what? I am Max von Sydow in The Seventh Seal, and you are my squire. Mm-hmm. You are just you are just a grumpy curmudgeon who doesn't ask the bigger questions, Greg. How dare you? No, nope, I get the girl in the end, though. <laughs> That's true. Hey, I have a wife, too. This is true. A very passionate... Oh, oh yeah. We forgot, we forgot. We didn't even mention the wife. You're right. Uh, the female characters don't get a lot of uh, credit or credence in this movie. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> but you know what we love? We love hearing from our female fans. Absolutely. If we have any. Of which we have a few. I guess so. That's true. Yeah, I mean, family I, I, counts. Yeah. <laughs> As his eyes dart around. No, we have a lot of we have a lot of female fans, and we appreciate all of our fans. Yes, that's true. All fans matter, mm. <laughs> right, guys? <laughs> and the way you can make your fandom known is you can go to mm-hmm. iTunes. I'm sorry, Apple Podcasts. You can go to Apple Podcasts, and you can give us a star review, and you can subscribe. Yeah, same on Stitcher. Mm-hmm. Stitcher's a, I think, another pretty good service. It's been it's been good lately. Yes, it's been good to us. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have to do anything. So, I, we just appear on Stitcher one day, and I'm like, all yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> just give that a just give that a review and a and a there. Uh, give us a rating there. Mm-hmm. Again, it will help. It'll help actually grow the podcast, and we'll have more friends, and we'll create an inspiring snobs community. Yes, that's really what we're going for. That's what we want. All right, mm-hmm. and it's up to you. You have the power. So why don't you hop on that social media that they've been talking about so much, mm-hmm. the Twitters and the Facebooks, and you can like our page and start following us for updates. You can go to our MySpace page, our Bebo page. <laughs> We're on Friendster. Yep. We're on all, Potternot.com. all the big platforms. Mm-hmm. We just got a Juicego page. <laughs> <laughs> that had a social media platform, right? I, I don't know. Wait, I thought you meant Juicero or Juicero. I, I, don't, I never knew how to pronounce it. Whatever, okay. they're gone well, now. Yeah, they they're just dead. Went, they just went belly up. Yep. That won't date this episode at all. <laughs> oh, wait, Greg, keep Ray, it topical. Remember Juicero? <laughs> keep it topical, okay? Yeah. Remember Fidget Spinners? <laughs> Dude, Taylor Swift's new single. Still hot right now. Yeah, I know. What's it, It's 1989, right? Is that the one? Or... Oh, God. <laughs> In any event, John, what are we watching next week? To, to really bring together the community, why don't we all watch a movie together? Yes. Next week, well, I mean, we had Paper Moon scheduled, but now I'm kind of thinking we should watch on Golden Pond. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just had we just had a movie from '81, so let's let's get off. Yeah. Okay, all right, let's do a movie from the '70s instead. Next week we'll be yes. watching Paper Moon. I believe yes. the best uh, best picture winner. I know it won a few Academy Awards. Oh but... no 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 no. Oh oh, 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 oh back up back up. I th- <laughs> yes. It, it, John, when you're competing against The Godfather, nobody. Will win. <laughs> okay. I forgot it came out that year. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I knew it came out in the seventies. But it I did know. win. Uh, it's notable for having the best. Uh, I believe best supporting actress. Uh, youngest winner of a Oscar in Tatum O'Neill. Okay. Who was only ten years old when she won. Dang. And now I've just used up that factoid, so I don't know what we're going to talk about next week. But <laughs> I'm sure we can talk about the actual movie, Greg. Yes, okay. And Mr. Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. Bog- yeah, I was going to make a joke. That's racist. Okay. <laughs> he comes from a long, rich heritage. Thank you very much. A long, rich heritage of uh, bandana wearers. <laughs> of ascot wearers. It's their people's <laughs> custom. <laughs> yes, it is. 
Anyway, let's get out of here. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next week. I'm waiting for you to say it. <laughs> okay. What? You can't just toss it to me like that. <laughs> Keep aspiring, everybody.